in your kingdom, everything smells new. Every morning there is new love, new hope, new forgiveness, new mercy. I pray today that you would speak to us clearly. I pray we would hear from you and receive from you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. All right, hey, we are talking about parables that reveal the secrets of God's nature. Parables that reveal the secret of God's kingdom. And Jesus, the master teacher, was teaching this, the prodigal son story. And um, if you missed it last week, I would encourage you, we have, um, we have a new app you can download if you want to listen to these sermons just over and over. Like my wife listens to it 10, 20, 30 times all the time. Um, but we have, we have a new app. I would encourage you to go back and catch up if you've missed last week. It's very important, especially if you're in here today and you would say, you know what? In my heart of hearts, I struggle with, with not feeling free from my past. I struggle with, with shame and guilt of what's, what I've done or been done to me. Uh, get the app, download it, and listen to last week's sermon because that's what we're building on today. And so last week we had this, this prodigal son, and it's the story, um, it's a parable. So someone asked Jesus, what's the kingdom like? And instead of just telling them what the kingdom was like with facts, God's kingdom, Jesus tells them a story. He says, God's kingdom is like a father, and the father's a representation of God. He said, this father had two sons, and one of them comes to him and says, Dad, you're dead to me. I want my money. I want my inheritance. The father, heartbroken, gives it to him. The son takes off, goes to Vegas, and spends all the money. He does all the sins. He loses everything. He, he's poor, destitute, and then a famine hits. He ends up with a job where he has to live and feed pigs. He finds himself in a pig pen, and he comes to his senses and says, Ah! Oh, the servants in my father's house have more food than I do now. I will go back and I will go from son and hopefully he will take me as servant. And so the son starts this, this trek back to the father and along the way he's nervous, he's thinking it through and as he gets to the, the hill he looks down and his father's been waiting on him. And we hear about the, the heart of the heavenly fathers. He sees his, his lost son and he runs to his son and, and holds him and, and celebrates him. It's a beautiful story of how God loves all who are far from him. And this week we're going to finish up. We're going to pick up right there where we left off. I'm going to read the end of it because we're going to see what happens next. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He is alive again. He was lost. He's found so they began to celebrate. He invited the whole village, the whole community. They came together and they had a celebration for redemption and salvation. And it's just a great way to cleanly sew up this story of this sinful son. It's just a great way to sew up this narrative of those of us who believe we are far from God. That we have done too many bad things that if people only knew, if God only knew, he knows. And he calls us home and he receives us. But Jesus isn't done with the parable. That's the end of the younger son. But there's seven verses left. And Jesus has much more to say about the heart and the nature of the Father. And about who we are today too. It's important to remember who's listening to this parable. I made it clear last week. I'm going to remind us that at the beginning of Luke, Jesus tells us who's in the audience. It says, now there were tax collectors and sinners. Now you can insert any kind of person you want there in the, in the sinners category. All gathered around to hear Jesus. But these religious leaders and Bible experts who were also there looked around and muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. He welcomes sinners, and then he eats with them. Now let's look closer at these religious leaders and these Bible experts here. In this parable, who would they most closely associate with? 
And they would listen to this prodigal son parable and go, this younger son went off and did all these bad things. I am certainly not like that. I mean, they haven't squandered money. They haven't lived in sin. They haven't rolled in a pig pen. In fact, they've done it all correct. They haven't done it wrong. They're very proud in the knowledge that they have lived it well and done what they thought was expected of them. They don't need some servant speech to return because they, in their hearts, know they've never left. They're pleased with their behavior. And it clearly states they look down on the sinners around them. The judge, they, they judge Jesus because he allows the sinners to come near. He goes and welcomes them, and he eats with them. So what do you think they, they felt about a parable about a God figure who welcomes sinners and eats with them? They've already stated it clearly. They were muttering about it. Can you believe he does that? And then he tells a story about a God who continually does that, welcomes sinners and then eats with them, throws them a party. Their religious judgment can hardly stomach the prodigal son parable. And the finale of this parable is directed toward them. It's directed toward those of us religious judges who are offended that God would receive sinful people back and throw them a party. I'm going to go ahead and just give away the, the bottom line from today's message. I'm going to tell you the point of today's sermon. By the end of this parable, I want us to see that the older religious brother needs God's grace just as much as his sinful, wandering, younger brother. You see, we look at the younger brother and we see his sin because it's so obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's obvious. And we look at the older brother and see his, his lack of sin and his good deeds. That's just as obvious but by the end, we're going to find that these two have much more in common than they even would care to admit. And somewhere along the way, people titled this parable, The Prodigal Son. And by the end of today's message, you are going to have it reframed who the true prodigal in this sermon, in this parable is. And with that, Let's look at this older brother who didn't leave home. When his little brother went off and did it all wrong and then skulked and crawled his way back, the older brother did it right, never left. And so we pick up right after the father has received the younger wayward son and thrown him a big party. We're in Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And right away we find him working. He's not reveling. He's not celebrating. He is certainly not sinning. He is out there doing diligently what is expected or what he thinks is expected. The older brother came near the house and heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what's going on. The servant replied, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now this is great news. The older brother is certainly overjoyed that his brother's alive. I mean, he hasn't heard anything from him. He's alive. He's home. Let me go in and join this party. I can't wait to welcome him. Surely he runs in and hugs his younger brother as his father has modeled. Verse 28. At this, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Interesting response. What's going on here? And we have an older brother who's angry that his other younger brother came home and angry that his father would receive him and dare throw him a party. And Jesus turns this parable to speak about the anger of the older brother. Imagine with me for a second how these religious elite, these religious leaders who were listening would feel about how this parable's been going so far. I mean, they'd be thinking in their head or muttering to each other, this, this boy didn't get what he deserved He's an unclean sinner who's done nothing right. He didn't even come home because he was sorry. He came home because he was hungry. 
I mean, how can we even know if, if his repentance is true? How can we trust his, his, his faith in the Father? I mean, he needs to come home and pay his dues, pay back the money, pay some, some penance. He needs to privately go get things right before any kind of public party or anything. You see, the religious people listening to this parable would have been angry at the seemingly reckless grace of this father. That's not how God would respond. That's, how, that's not the God they know. Because as, do you know how they responded to sinners? Do you know how these religious elite responded to sinners? A, a, a sinner comes near them in the temple, they stay away from them. They look down their noses at people, just as we already read at the first of the chapter, muttering, I can't believe he would welcome these people and eat with them. I mean, they look, they, sinners were to be avoided and uh, know that you were living better than them and you're not like them. You see, Jesus is telling a parable about God's nature. And the religious people who think they know God's nature are confused and probably offended at the way this is going. Jesus is telling a story about the father that's not the father they know or like. The father in this story is not fitting into their nice little religious box of people paying penance and getting what's coming to them before they can be on the inside. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. The older brother in the story was angry. The religious elite listening was angry. And the word here for anger is orgizo. And now, I want to tell you something. This is not the first time that Jesus uses this word orgizo when he talks about brothers and anger. In fact, Jesus is communicating something in this story here that he's said plainly in other places. So let's listen to Jesus as he's reframing what it means to love God and love people. Matthew 5, 21, Jesus is preaching, hey, you've heard it said uh, to people long ago that you should not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. He's like, listen, everybody, you've, you've lived and heard for generations, don't go around murdering people. Let's just not do that. Plain and simple, but, but he, he takes it a step further. He goes, but I tell you that anyone who is angry, or gizo, same word, Anyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He throws down the gauntlet of a new way of loving, a new way of living. You've always worked so hard not to murder, but let's be honest, how hard is that? I'm giving you a new command. Don't even hate your brother and sister. Don't murder their character. Don't assassinate their reputation. Don't orgizo your brother or sister in your heart. Instead, love God, love people. And here's the kicker, don't orgizo people who come close to God, even if they come close to God with empty pockets, smelling like a pig pen. No, no, love people, all people. Jesus is saying something bold about the self-righteous person who is resentful and angry at their brothers and sisters far from God. He's re-scripting people, he's redefining his kingdom, he's revealing God's nature He's sending his people and his church a clear message of how we are to receive those who are far from God. Back to the parable. The older brother became angry, or gizo, and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. And this seems so small, but this is huge. The father has two sons. It's becoming clear that while one is lost in wandering sin, the other is lost in judgmental religion. And the beauty we read here is that the father goes to both of them. You see, the father runs to younger sons and leads them inside. And the father runs to 
to older sons and pleads with them to come inside. Both sons need the father, and he approaches both of them with his love. For those of us here today, it doesn't matter if if you're living in the shame of your past or maybe you're living in the assuredness of your religious goodness. He's communicating something. We all need God's grace. We all need God's love. And God approaches all of us and invites us in to his house. The father leaves the party, goes to the older son, and pleads with him to come celebrate. Now, surely, the older son, <coughs> surely he would be moved by this. I mean, his brother's back, his, his father had threw a party, and his father came and asked him, surely he's going to go in, right? Verse 29, but the son answered the father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And in one moment, right there, the heart of the older brother is revealed. From his own mouth, he tells us how he sees his father, and he tells us how he sees himself. Look, all these years I have been slaving for you. In his mind, while the little brother was out there sinning, he's been here slaving. And this verse speaks volumes about how he sees his own identity. I've been slaving for you. And the irony is this. The irony is that the younger brother comes home and longs to just be a servant, while the older brother, already home, longs to be a slave. These boys have so much in common because neither of them sees themselves how the father sees them. They identify as as sinner, servant, slave, but neither of them sees themselves how their dad sees them, as beloved sons. It turns out the older brother has as twisted a view of the father as the younger brother. You see, the younger brother perceives his father as like a boss, that he can get employment as a servant to work off his debts. The older brother perceives his father as a master, demanding dutiful obedience. Both of these boys have missed the father's identity. Both of these boys have missed their father's heart. A father doesn't want servants, and the father doesn't want slaves. But perhaps today you fit into one of these categories. Perhaps today either you feel like you've got to work hard to to earn God's forgiveness because of all your bad behavior. That's younger son servant religion working off your debt to a God. Or maybe you're, you've been dutifully working on your behavior so that the Father will see your religious good works and grant you his favor. And that's older son slave religion. Both boys are working to earn their father's favor. Both are striving for their salvation. And the bottom line is both of these types of people Believe the Father cares more about what they can do than who they are. One wants to be a servant. One wants to be a slave. And the whole time, the Father would just say, I just want my boys. I just want my sons. I don't need you to be a servant. Daughter, I don't need you to be a slave. You're my child. You see, religion says you have to earn it one way or another. Earn your way back into forgiveness or keep earning favor by not being as bad as those people. One son looks at the servant and says, I hope I can be one of those. And the other son looks at the sinners and says, well, 
<laughs> At least I'm not like them. And God would say to younger brother types, God would say this, why are you trying to pay me back for all the wrong you've done in the past? The forgiveness is already given. And Jesus, you're my daughter. You don't have to earn my love. It's yours. And to the older brothers in us, he would say, why are you continuing to try to win my approval by your good deeds? All the favor is already yours because of my son Jesus. And because you're my son, you can't earn my love. I've already given it freely. One has to be a servant. The other tells us he feels like a slave. Neither can fathom being a son. The older brother's not done yet. He continues his rant against his father. He says, I never disobeyed your orders. Father, I did it all right. I kept a checklist of all the things I thought you would like. I mean, my spiritual star chart is full of stars while my brother's is full of this like sinful black marks and he gets the party? <laughs> What's amazing to me is, if I'm, if I'm really honest as I read through this, both brothers believe in karma. They believe they should get divine favor or failure based solely on what they do. Jesus reveals once again, this is important to, to catch this and, and, and own this. Jesus is revealing once again, grace and karma cannot coexist. Grace pays all the bills that karma would love to collect in your life. Grace pays all the bills that karma would love to collect. In God's kingdom, thankfully, there's no room for something as loveless and as impersonal as, as karma. In the Father's house, we have a relationship. And none of us get what we deserve in his house. And that's great news. Instead, because of Jesus, we get unconditional love. You get total forgiveness. You get amazing grace. And you get the Father's favor well beyond what any of us deserve. I want that. That's what I want. And thank God for this parable. It reveals the secret of God's nature and how he has blessed us with a heavenly father who declares love and grace are yours, not because of what you do and what you've done, but because you're his son, because of what Jesus has already done. There's not some impersonal universal law that gets to tell you what you're worth or what you get because as your father, you're my son, you're my daughter. You get my forgiveness. You get my love. You get my grace. You get the fruits of the Spirit. Oh, you don't deserve it? Here it is anyway. Jesus is revealing the realities of God's kingdom. The big brother continues to tell the father about his way of doing things and how it's so wrong. You never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? And what's this about a goat? He goes, I didn't even get a goat for me and my buddies. You give him a calf? What's interesting is that a fattened calf would be saved. It was special. It was saved for a big celebration, a big moment. And it would feed, a, it would feed the community. That's why they had the community to come. This is a big calf, fattened calf. We're going to feed a bunch of people. It's for a party. Now, a young goat would not be for a party. It's for a few people. You don't throw a huge party and pull out a young goat. It's, it's not going to work. It's not a celebratory meal. <clears throat> but we already know what the, uh, these religious kind of people think about any kind of party where there's other people eating with us. 
Perhaps the religious older brothers wouldn't want to party with the common folk and the sinners. And maybe they don't want to attend a, a fattened calf party with those kinds of people. You know, a, a young goat would only feed a handful of people, and perhaps the older brother types just like to gather with other older brother types. Maybe on a Sunday morning. Perhaps they even like to get together on a Sunday morning and not to have a celebration for the sinners coming home. Oh, no. They want to have a, a, a gathering to remind themselves of how right they have it and how good they are compared to the people who didn't come this morning. Perhaps they like to gather on Sunday mornings just to be reminded that we're all okay. We did it right. Any sinner who would enter that kind of gathering would not feel welcome, would they? You know, it's a wonder why people don't like to go to church. <laughs> Could it be because just like in the time of Jesus, there are judgmental groups of religious people who gather each weekend not to celebrate what God's doing in the lives of sinful people, but they get together and go, ah, we're all good, aren't we? We're not like them. Could it be that churches have gotten this reputation because we don't run out like the father and receive younger brothers, but instead sit in judgment of any sinner who would come near us? What's that reputation like in this, in this country? Could it be that Sunday services across America most often resemble a ensemble gathering of dutiful religious people instead of a celebratory party where everyone is welcomed and sinners are called home and celebrated? It may describe some churches, but Orchard, may it never describe us. May we be a community of people that receive every single person. We received you, <laughs> received me. We're not perfect. Everybody goes, they go, I'm, not look for the, I'm looking for the perfect church. And I'm like, don't go there, you'll ruin it. Because <laughs> we're all imperfect people. Orchard, may we never be a gathering of older brothers May anybody be able to walk in our community and receive grace and love as we love God and love people. Another interesting thing the older brother said is, this son of yours, when this son of yours, not my brother, it's not my brother, it's, it's your son. It's just like when um, a spouse would say, when you get home, uh, your kids are upstairs waiting for you. Oh, <laughs> they've been temporarily disowned by, by one of them. The older brother's washed his hands of the whole thing. He's disowned his younger brother. He wants nothing to do with him. The older brother throws all this in the father's face. He goes off and he sins and does that and this. And he, you throw him a party? Where's my goat? Where's my party? Where's my attaboy? Where's my check mark for my star chart? Where? What about me? And the final word from, that's, the, that's it. That's the final word from either brother. That's it. That's all we hear from the older brother. We don't know if he goes in. But now we turn to the Father. Because now it's his turn to speak. And if Jesus said we're going to reveal the nature of the Father in this parable, I want to know how he responds to these accusations. What have we learned so far about the Father in this story? We've learned that we have a Father who loves those who do it all wrong and welcomes them home. Whether for the first time or the thousandth time. We've learned that even, he even loves those who religiously think they've done it all right. We've learned that he runs to broken, sinful children. And we've learned that he runs to angry religious children, too. But how will we respond to this accusation? 
the first thing he says says it all. My son. Identity. You may want to be a slave, but you're my son. And you may be angry at me, but you're my boy. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You want a goat for you and your buddies? Look around you. This whole thing is for you. You're a son in my kingdom and you can go anywhere. Every calf, every goat, everything is open to you, my child. You, you want a goat? It's all yours. You have the authority of a son, of the king. You're upset at the grace I gave your brother. But all my grace is with you every day. But son, we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. He says, this brother of yours, listen, you, you can't escape the spiritual truth. No matter how much you don't want to be, have anything to do with him and those people, you can't escape the spiritual truth that that's your brother. You may think his, his sin disqualifies him, but make no mistake, I get to choose who's in the kingdom. Older brothers don't get to vote younger brothers and sisters off the island. God decides. And he says, make no mistake. He's your brother. He's my son. What a deep, rich parable with, of two lost sons. Both sons struggled with the same thing. They both thought their good or bad behavior determined their relationship with the father. The younger thought that he was disqualified from being a son because of his disobedience. And the older brother thought he qualified because of his obedience. Both judged their position with the father just based on their action. The younger believed he could work hard and get forgiveness. And the older believed he could work hard and keep the favor. But catch this. The younger son didn't even think he deserved grace. And the older son didn't think he even needed grace. One longs to be a servant. The other views himself as a slave. The younger wants to make up for all he's done. And the older wants to measure up by all he's doing. Both of these sons want to earn the approval of their father. Not by who they are, but by what they do. There's only one huge problem. One huge problem with both of their paradigms. Jesus is making it crystal clear that in God's kingdom, in God's economy, you do not earn approval. And you cannot earn approval. You can never earn your way into being God's son. You can never earn your way into being God's daughter. Here's the bottom line. If we follow Jesus in faith... You're a daughter of the Father, and you never skulk home and ask to be a servant. And if you're a son through Jesus, you, you don't stay at home and religiously work like a slave. You're no servant and you're no slave. Because of Jesus, you are a daughter. You are a son with the full rights of the Father, and he would say to you, everything I have is yours. We learn today that both sons need to realize it's not by their works, good or bad, that define them spiritually. And they challenge us to learn from them today. Do you have some younger brother in you? You got some past? You got some past that haunts you? That makes you feel like, man, I just got to earn it or pay some penance? I'm not doing it right? Youngers, stop defining your life based on your past. Got any older brother on you? You think you, you have gotten past the worst of it? You're doing pretty good. Your attendance record's good. Your star chart with God's pretty good. Listen, stop defining your life based on your past good deeds. To all of us, we are defined as children of God because in Jesus, he declared it so. 
Jesus gave his life so that we could come into God's kingdom as his children. Multiple times a week, I will pull my son Elijah aside. We have this little ritual. And I'll whisper in his ear. I'll say, Elijah, is there anything in the world you could do that would make your daddy love you more? Now, we've done this a thousand times. He says, nothing. I say, Elijah, is there anything you can do in the whole world to make your daddy love you less? Nothing. I say, buddy, do I love you based on what you do or don't do? No. Why does daddy love you? Because I'm your son. And God wants to whisper to you today, right now. He says, my daughter, my son, do you believe there's anything you could do, accomplish, that would make me love you anymore? I'm going to tell you the answer is no. He'll say, my son, my daughter, is there anything you're doing right now or could do that would make me love you any less? The answer is no. And he would say, why do I love you? Because I'm your daughter. Because I'm your son. You see, you can't earn that. You can't work hard enough for that. And you can't work your way out of that. You're a child and you're, 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 you can't sin your way out of grace. And you can't obey your way into grace. It's just given. Galatians 3.26 says, By faith in Christ... By faith in Jesus, you are in direct relationship with God as his sons and his daughters. Because of the faith in Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, those of us who have followed him into salvation, you are in direct relationship. So when you come back as a servant trying to make up for your sins, or when you try to work like a slave to, to get some star chart, it doesn't work in God's kingdom. You're his child. What a glorious offer. And now I told you I wanted to leave you with this parable, knowing who the real prodigal in the story is. We got three, three characters, older, younger, and the father. And I want you to answer this question quietly to yourself, not out loud. How would you define prodigal? How would you define it? It's not really a word we ever use other than in this parable. I always thought it meant like wandering and sinful, but listen to the actual definition of prodigal. To be recklessly extravagant. And to spend lavishly. Now we think it's the younger son. He, he was recklessly extravagant. He spent lavishly. From this, from this sermon on, whenever you hear this parable, I want you to know who the true prodigal is. Because there is one character in this story who was recklessly extravagant. There is one character who was willing to spend himself lavishly. There's one in this story who towers above the others in his prodigal nature. There's one in this story who seemed to recklessly extravagant with his forgiveness. And who would give his love lavishly. And that's our father. The true prodigal, who was recklessly extravagant with his forgiveness for the younger brother and the older, and who's recklessly extravagant with his grace and forgiveness on you, and who spends himself lavishly for his children, 
So anytime we, we enter this parable again, know that the true prodigal is the father. Extravagant, lavish, so prodigal that, that sinners have problems accepting the love and forgiveness. It doesn't make sense to us. Orchard, we have a prodigal God. And the challenge today is to see where in your heart you have a younger brother shame or you're trying to be a servant. That you are skulking back and trying to pay penance into his presence. You need to know that your prodigal father says, you're forgiven. Come to the father's table and celebrate. We're having a party for you. Come to the father's table. For you older brother types, those of us who have some older brother religious judgment in us. It causes us to judge other people by their sin or their lifestyle or how they do life. And you count yourself better because if you do your duty religiously, you've been given grace and you need to give that grace to others. And you need to come to the Father's table and celebrate the party of redemption that he's throwing. And today, Orchard, I want to invite you to the Father's table. There's a feast this morning. There's a table in this very room with a feast prepared. A feast of redemption and reconciliation and salvation just like that feast here in the story. We call it communion, this table right here. I'm going to invite you to the Father's table this morning to come celebrate that young sons and young daughters can come home no matter what sin they've committed. And the older brothers and other, older brothers and sisters can, can find grace for themselves and for others at this celebratory table. So as you come forward and, and you get the elements of the feast and you sit down with this feast of grace and redemption... I want you to thank God that we all get to come to the table because of Jesus. That because of the broken body of Jesus, because of the blood shed from Jesus, we all get called to the table as forgiven sons and daughters. And guess what? Everything he has is yours. It's yours. So as we go into communion, younger brothers and sisters, Older brothers and sisters, I invite you to the prodigal father's table. It's lavish. It's extravagant. You can't outsend this grace. You cannot run his favor. You can't earn it. Let's respond today in thanking our prodigal God for how much he's moved in our lives.